to not quit praying to his God, let's use it against him. Oh, come on now. I would that we as Christians, people would say, you know what, there's one thing about them. They're going to serve God no matter what. If there's something we can use against them, it's that. If there's something we can use against them, it's that they're going to serve their God. And he throws them in the lion's den. But the angel had already been to visit the lions. And the lions couldn't even open their mouth. And Daniel came out on the other side completely unscathed. And the three Hebrew children thrown in a fiery furnace. Heated hotter than it had ever been heated before. So hot that it killed the people who were trying to make it even hotter. And they throw them in and all of a sudden the ropes burn off. And there walking in the midst of the fire with them is a fourth man likened to the Son of God. And I came by to tell you that if that happens to you, the only thing that's going to be burned are the things that's holding you back. And God will be walking right there with you. Because they weren't alone. And no matter what fiery trial you're facing in this moment, no matter what you're going through, no matter what kind of hell has been unleashed against you, you are not alone. The Bible says in Isaiah that he has not forgotten us. And, and I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're facing. But I came by to tell you this morning, he's not forgotten you. You may toss and turn on your pillow at night. There may be times when you cry and you soak your bed sheets and you say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And you lay awake and you wonder, where is God in this situation? And I came by to tell you, you're not alone. He's with you everywhere that you go, everything that you face. He's right beside of you. I came by to tell you that this book of miracles that we hold in our hand in there, there are many instances of the adversary, Satan, being confounded and being confused. There are stories where he had worked elaborate schemes and had plans to take out the people of God. But they go awry because he fails to realize that God would have a final say. If I didn't dislike him so bad, I'd have to say, poor devil. Working so hard and God always turning it around on him. Working so hard to get everything just right. Yet just when he thinks he's victorious, he hears, but God. So I'm going to look at three of his defeats quickly this morning. And then we're going to get out of here and go find something to eat because I'm hungry. It is what it is. He thought he could stop the plan of God. Acts chapter 7 verse 9. I read part of this to you a minute ago. When the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. Is that not a wonderful little sentence there to carry us all through every storm, every circumstance, and every situation of our life? But God is with him. You may just want to write it down and say, but God is with me. Put it on your mirror. When you wake up in the morning and you've had bad dreams all night and when the moment your eyes pop open, the stress of the day weighs on you, just go and look at that thing on your mirror when you're brushing your teeth and say, but God is with me. But God is with me. Think about Joseph. He has these dreams. He he, he, he gets excited about what God's going to do in his life. I don't know about you, but, but I've been in that place where I've had dreams. And I've, I've just thought, you know what, God, is, God has got so much laid out for me. And then it seems like you hit a pit. And maybe it's a metaphorical pit. Maybe, maybe, maybe nobody in your family really did beat you up and throw you in a pit. I hope, that, I hope for your sake that didn't really happen, okay? I, I hope you didn't really get beat up and thrown in a pit. But, you know, with some families that I've been in counseling with as a pastor... That's quite possible. Maybe somebody did beat somebody up and throw them in a pit. But 
But I've hit metaphorical pits in my life where I'm looking around going, how did I end up here? I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was doing what God asked me to do, what God led me to do. I I thought I was walking in the dream that he had called me to walk in. And and then all of a sudden, it seems like you're being bailed out. Seems like you're going to be okay. And here he comes and he goes into Potiphar's house. And the Bible literally says that everything he touched was blessed. And not only everything he touched was blessed, but the whole kingdom was blessed because of what Joseph was doing. This is powerful because he's in an unfortunate situation. We don't hear him complaining. How many of you ever met somebody that had the ministry of complaining on them? I call it the annoying of complaining. It's not the anointing, it's the annoying. And they had the annoying of complaining on them and Joseph didn't. If anybody could have had it, he was sold as a slave. His brothers hated him. He could have sat around and moped all day long, but instead he threw himself into where God had placed him, and he said, I'm going to bloom here. I'm going to flourish here. It doesn't look like the perfect situation, but I'm going to do the best in here. And all of a sudden people begin to recognize him, and Potiphar puts him over the whole house and says, this is the best deal I ever got, buying this slave from up in Canaan. This guy is doing awesome stuff. I can go away and leave. And all of a sudden here's Potiphar's wife. And she, she looks at him and she says, this guy is, is good to look at. And he's a pretty handsome fella. And I'm going to, you know, my husband's gone and we know the rest. And so she said he wouldn't do it. He ran. If you ever run from a woman, don't leave your coat. Just, just practical advice. She took that coat and she said, baby, look. Look what, look what Joseph did. I imagine she like, she, she put on her best mascara and then cried it off, you know. Fake tears. She probably took a dropper and made it run. Potiphar comes in. There she is crying, holding the coat. She says, I want something done about this. And Potiphar throws him in jail. And he's in prison. And I don't know about you, but I can, I can take one punch to the gut. Especially when it seems like I'm coming back. I can take one pitfall. I can take one bump in the road. I can take one time of stumbling. I can take one time when people turn against me. Especially when it looks like I'm going to come out of it okay. But here's time number two. Think about that. And now we're sitting here looking at Joseph. We're like, Joseph, this is pretty good, man. You, you, you kept it up. You didn't complain the first time. You did all right. The first time, but dude, you're in a prison now. It's okay to whine a little bit. It's okay to complain a little bit. It's okay to have a little pity party now. And Joseph says, I'm not going to do it. And even in the prison, he just begins going after the Lord. He just begins to do everything with excellence. He begins to show who God is to every single person in that prison. So much so that he gets raised up and now he's the dude that's under the guy in charge of the prison. He's number two in charge of the whole prison. Now, you're like, well, that, that doesn't sound real. You know, like, we're not going to put that on our resume. Like, I was the head prisoner. You know, put that on our, <laughs> we're not going to do that. However, you think about it. He was making the best of the situation he found himself in. And here he is. And I imagine him sitting there at night and the enemy would come. I believe he'd hear echoes of his brother's voices saying, Now let's see what happens to your dream. How many of you have ever just sat there and you've heard the echoes of your critics saying, Now let's see 
what happens to you. Let's see what happens to the vision that God gave you. Let's see what happens to, to where God, you thought God was taking you. What, what, where are you now? You're sitting in a dungeon. You're sitting in a prison. Oh, look at you. You're the number one guy in the prison. You thought you were going to be head of the family. You thought that you were going to be head of Potiphar's house. Look at you now. You're, you're just a guy in the prison. And we've all been there in a place where we've been punched in the gut, where we've been taken down a notch, where we've been hurt, where people that we thought loved us and were there for us have turned their backs on us and they've destroyed our hearts. And we've been sitting there crying. We've been sitting there hurt. We've been sitting there going, I don't know if I can go on. And we hear the voice of the enemy because he's not one to let up when we're down. And he says, now look where you are. But God was with Joseph. If you notice in Genesis 39, 21 and in Acts chapter 7 verse 29, it says those words, but God was with Joseph. It was so powerful that God felt he needed to repeat it in his word, but God was with Joseph. When you're sitting there in your life and you feel like all hope is gone, but God is still with you. And the enemy cannot stop the plan of God in your life. The enemy cannot stop what God has for you. If you'll just hold on to God, if you'll just say, God, I'm right here, I'm trusting in you. It may look like there are bars on my windows and bars on my doors. These may look like manacles here. And it may just look like these are prisoners in the cell next to me. But we didn't know that there was a way that God was making that who was marched in there as a prisoner, God was going to use as an instrument of Joseph's deliverance. And not just Joseph's deliverance, but the deliverance of many nations. It was because... Because Joseph stayed faithful where he was, that God was able to pull him out. Stay faithful where you are. Go after Jesus where you are. But God is still with you. The enemy thought he could stop the people of God. Let's read Ephesians chapter 3, or chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. That's what we looked at earlier. I'm going to read it from the Living Bible. I think this is very descriptive and beautiful language. All of us used to be just as they are. Talking about the world. I could, I could camp right here and preach an hour on people who forget where they come from. And Paul's saying, don't forget where you come from. We used to be just like the world. You know, well, I wasn't that bad. You were a sinner. The Bible says you were an enemy of God. You may not have ever drank, you know, what was that? The church guy used to say, I don't smoke or chew or run with girls who do. I don't know, because it's old. That's old church. I'm old church, so you know. You may not have done those things. You may not have, you know, you may not have a resume where you say, oh, I did all this bad stuff. Or maybe you've got a resume that's worse than what we could imagine. Either way, you were an enemy with God. God's not got a hierarchy, and he's like, I've got this level of hell for you because you... We're just okay, and, and you didn't do much bad sin, but you did this, so you're going to the worst place. He's not got a, a, a level of heaven that, you know, you, you did okay. So, listen, it's all what it is to God. And all of us used to be just like they are. Our lives expressing the evil within us. Doing every wicked thing that our passions or our evil thoughts might lead us into. We started out bad, being born with evil natures, and we're under God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. 
He loves us so much that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, he gave us back our lives again when he raised Christ from the dead. Only by his undeserved favor have we ever been saved and lifted us up from the grave into glory with Christ where we sit with him in the heavenly realms all because of Christ, what Christ Jesus did. The enemy looked, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, and God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God made everything perfect. And more than that, God made man perfect. And the enemy looked at that. And we, we like to talk about that ugly old devil and all this stuff. I, I've heard that my whole life growing up. But in the reality is, is the, the devil is beautiful. He was, he was created perfect in the beginning. Beautiful. Leading the worship of the angels of heaven toward God. And, and he was created with such beauty that we can't describe it. And here he sees man being created in the very image of God. Because see, while the devil was beautiful, he wasn't created in the image of God. If I could talk to you about your identity this morning, so many times we let the devil lie to us and say, well, you're nothing and you're a nobody. You're a failure. You're a mess up. There's no hope for you. You're, you're so bad. You have no talent, no skills, no ability. There's nothing in you that's good. And can I come to put lie to that this morning and say that you are created in the very image of God? Find your identity in that. Rest in that. That's why he hated us so much. People have all these crazy ideas about it, but, but we were created. We literally took his place. We began to worship God. We had relationship with God that, that the devil had never had, and we were created in the image of God, which he had never been, and he was jealous of us. And we became enemies of God because man fell, and we know the story, and they were put out of the garden. And the enemy thought, I'm stopping this people of God. There's... Now they're not perfect anymore. Take that, God. You thought you created someone in your image. You thought you created someone that would love you and walk with you in the cool of the evening. You thought you would create you had created someone that you could have relationship, and he the devil thought he had stopped that. Created to be kings, they now find themselves as paupers. Once they were friends with God, now they are enemies of God. The human race, mind, they were once filled with thoughts of God, now became a breeding ground for lust and evil. Once they're rulers, now they're slaves. It's history's greatest tragedy. But God. Imagine if it had been left like that and we just were left without hope and that when we would die, we would just die and go on to, to hell and spend eternity separated from God and there was no hope. Paul says that without the hope of the cross, we'd be of men most miserable. But Ephesians 2.6, but God 
has raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, what the enemy, the enemy lies to you right now. And he says that you're nothing and a nobody. And he says your sins can't be forgiven. And he says that I've known Christians who have been saved for 30 and 40 years who look like the, just the epitome of a good deacon or deaconess in the church, Sunday school teacher, somebody like that, and, and they wrestle in their mind with being tormented by things they did 30 years ago because the enemy comes and consistently lies to them. He's the accuser of the brethren. It's what he wants to do. He wants you to begin to doubt what God has done in you. But can I tell you today that God has raised us up together to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus because Jesus died on a cross shed his blood for you and I so that we could be forgiven of our sins and once those sins are gone they're gone completely and you need to find identity in that and not let the devil convince you that you are something that you're not and that you are who you used to be I, I just be honest with you I, I get so mad at people that call the prodigal son the prodigal son because Jesus never called him the prodigal son and people attach a title to him that he wasn't. Because now, the end of the story is he came back to the Father. But we want to go and look at what he did when he was out in the world. I, I can't stand when they call him Doubting Thomas. I'm on this kick of, of don't call me who I used to be. Call me who I am. And when Jesus appeared in front of him, he didn't even touch the, the hole in his side or the hole in his hands. He fell at his feet and began to worship him. We ought to call him worshiping Thomas. I mean, if we're going to put a title on somebody, don't, don't accept the titles that men put on you. And don't accept the titles that, that the devil puts on you. Only accept the title. Only accept the character traits that God calls you. But God. And Thomas says, I, I just kick that one, I love it. Because here's Thomas and he's worshiping Jesus and he gets up and his best friend's back from the dead and he's all happy and now he goes over to India and he preaches about Jesus so much they have to stick him on a stake and kill him to shut him up. That don't sound like somebody doubting to me. Half these people are doubting Thomas, doubting Thomas. Are you willing to die for your faith? You willing to let them run a stick through your head? It was a little graphic, but it's what happened. And so here we are, we see this, that we're raised up together with Jesus to sit in heavenly places. And the enemy thought he had stopped the people of God in the garden. He thought he had short-circuited God's plan, but God had another plan. And he thought he could stop, this is my final one, he thought he could stop the power of God, but God. Acts chapter 13, 28 says, and though they found no cause of death in him, talking about Jesus, yet they desired that Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. We don't serve, we don't serve a God that's dead in a tomb. We don't serve a God that's weak. We don't serve a God that's mortal. We serve an immortal, all-powerful God. We serve Jesus Christ, the uncreated one. This is who we serve. And when the enemy thought he had won, he found out just how wrong he was. 
Isaiah 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And by his stripes we're healed. He, it talks about how he's pierced and he's bruised and he's broken. It talks about how they put him in the ground. And the enemy had to be just shouting over this. It, it talks about that. He's put in the ground according to John 19 and 38. That Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus comes and asks Pilate for the body. And Pilate goes, yeah, sure, take him down, put him in a grave. They put him in a grave. And, and for here we go we see this happening and it looks like all hope is lost but for something to bloom it must first be planted for us to bloom sometimes we have to be planted I mean how many of you garden or raise flowers I have a black thumb I kill everything I come in contact with my wife is almost as bad the only thing she can raise is spinach and one time we were like we're going to raise a garden it's going to be so great so we built these boxes to put the garden in. We did all the right stuff. We read up. We bought the right soil mix. We did everything. We bought the right seeds. We did it all, and everything died. We had, we had like three carrots that were this big. I kid you not. Like if we had a miniature bunny, it would have worked out, but we didn't. So it is what it is. And we had so much spinach, we were giving it away to everybody. I hate spinach now. I liked it before that, but I hate it now. We ate spinach salads and spinach quiches and spinach whatever you can imagine. We ate it. We ate spinach all the time. It was coming out my ears. We were taking spinach to church in bags and giving it to people. We were setting it out front like, please, come steal it off our porch. We have too much spinach. I don't know why she can raise spinach and nothing else, but she can. It's amazing. And it's just one more thing I love about. But for something to bloom, you have to plant it. You, you don't raise a garden just by looking at the dirt and saying, I hope something comes up. Although we did have some strawberries in that same backyard that came up every year, much better than the stuff we tried to raise. I don't know how that happened, but there's these volunteer strawberries, and there they came. And so many times we feel like we've been planted in the ground. We feel like we've been covered up by all the things that we're facing, the situations, the circumstances of life. We feel like all hell's been unloosed against us and we're just covered up with it. Can I tell you that in that moment, God is still with you and you will bloom. You will come out and you'll be all that God created you and formed you to be. And here is Jesus in the ground. The enemy thinks he's one, but God. And Jesus came to them in Matthew 28, 18 and spoke to them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Can you imagine that? You thought he was dead and you thought he was gone. You thought it was over. You went back to fishing. You went back to the only thing you knew. After you spent a few days hiding from the Romans and crying over what happened and thinking that you were wrong to give up three and a half years of your life to follow him. And after all of that, here he shows up. And he says, all power in heaven and earth is given to me. Think about Jesus for just a moment. He, he shouldn't have made it. He was born in a stable. His mother, a virgin, raised in a carpenter's shop. His parents were poor. His people were slaves. His friends were a lowly lot. His chances in life seem so very slim. He's expected to be a slave, but the Bible says that people in darkness saw a great light. A light of hope and of freedom He gave them. All of the power in heaven and earth God invested 
in His Son, Jesus Christ. He's to die on a cross. He's to descend into hell. He's to meet the devil and take the keys of death, hell, and the grave from him. He yielded himself to this death. He, he says, nobody takes my life, but I willingly lay it down. Oh, I love that. Just for a moment, I just like to get excited about that because uh, the devil thinks I'm taking his life. Look what I'm doing. And that's the same thing the devil's doing in your life. He's laughing. Look, look what I'm doing. Look what's happening to you. This is what I'm doing. And God's saying, wait just a moment. See what I'm about to do in their life. How I'm about to turn things around in their life. He cries, it's finished, slumps to die, and the regions of hell begin to celebrate. Devils begin to, to have, a, have a conniption fit, I like to call it, because I grew up in the hills, and that's what we say. They, they're partying, they're screaming, they're yelling. We've killed the king, they cry. In the midst of the celebration, footsteps are heard walking down the halls of hell. And then the shouting stopped as a voice rang out. A voice rang out loud and clear as a bell and began to cry, give me those keys. I can imagine Satan beginning to tremble when he recognized who was come. I imagine he screams, shut the gate and bar it. But if Jesus said even the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against his church, what chances did they have against the head of the church? And Jesus walks into this party and shuts it down. And as they say, don't let him ascend the throne. I believe Jesus said, I'm taking this throne and I'm making it mine. And he led captivity free. The musicians will come this morning. Listen, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what circumstances you have. I don't know what you came in here carrying this morning. And to be frankly honest with you, I don't have to know. Because I know God. I know his ability to move. I know his ability to set free and deliver. I know his ability to bring us out of places that we thought we couldn't come out of. And I know that he wants to do the same for you this morning. Don't listen to the lies and the disparaging words of the enemy. Realize this morning that God has the final say. See things from... The Father's perspective. Can you imagine seeing things from the perspective of somebody who never lost? Now think about that for just a minute. You can kind of hear those words when, when Ali would talk. He just knew he was the baddest. You can hear it in, in the voices of of. When I remember I was a kid when Michael Jordan and the Bulls were doing their 72 win run. And you could just hear the way they would talk with confidence. And I remember my senior year of high school, we, we had only seven games because everybody dropped us. And you have to have eight to make the playoffs. So we went to Virginia and paid a team $1,000 and half of our homecoming gate, plus all the gas in their buses, to come play us. So we could get eight games so we could go to the playoffs. And I remember standing at the edge of the field and there were 17 of us seniors and we were standing there kind of in a little huddle and we're talking and we look over at the field and they're out there on the field warming up and it looked like some elementary school team. It was, it was pretty horrible. And we hadn't lost and in fact our margin of victory was over 50 points every single game and we looked over at them 
And my buddy tonight, Austin, he went on to play at WVU. He looked back at us and he goes, wouldn't you hate to be them right now? And I was like, that's a good point. I'd hate to be them right now. And I remember we were on the line and we were running a play we had never ran before. We'd never even practiced it. The coach drew it up on the board as a joke and was like, this might would work. And we were... We were up, it was 72 to like four. I don't even know how they got four. 72-6. It was something really, really bad. It was horrible. And I was at the guard position, and my best friend Keith was on my right at tackle, and, and another close friend was Justin on the left at center. And we sat, and Justin looks over, and he goes, who am I supposed to block? And Keith goes, man, I don't know. We've never ran this play before. And the guy that was in front of me goes, it doesn't matter, you're going to score anyway. And we scored on the play. And, and I, it just, I got to think about that this morning, right? Because when you see things from the perspective of a winner, you look over at the devil and you go, man, I'd hate to be that guy. We give the devil so much power in our life. And we talk about him like he's this omnipotent, omnipresent, just all-powerful being that's amazing. When in fact, that's the God that we serve. And the devil's just a created being like we are. But we give him so much power in our life. We act like he's so powerful. When in reality, if we'd get together with about 17 of our closest friends and really go after Jesus and feel the fire of the Holy Ghost inside of us and, and get a perspective from God's perspective who's never lost a battle, we'd look over at the devil and be like, man, I'd hate to be that guy. Because every play we want run, we're going to score on. Everything we do, we're going to win at. may not look exactly like it in the moment, but in the end, we win. So I don't know what you're facing. But God. I don't know what your doctor's report was, but God. I don't know what your financial situation looks like, but God. I don't know, your kids may not be saved, but God. Your grandkids may be going crazy, but God. Your relationships may be tore up. You may feel like you're broken broken, busted, disgusted. You may feel like all of this is going on in your life, but God, He's here this morning. He's here to meet with you. He's here to encourage you and to strengthen you. He's here to intervene in your life and in your situation. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you today that you are with us in this place. We thank you that you come to move. We thank you, Lord, that when the enemy says it's over, you say I've not just started yet. When the enemy says give up, you say hold on. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. And God, this morning, I just pray that you would just move in the hearts and lives of each person sitting here. And God, as people are sitting here, I, I, just, I know that there's at least one or two, Lord, that you've spoke to their hearts. The enemy has lied to them. The enemy has pulled them down. The enemy has tried to discourage them. But you sent me today to show them that you're still in control. 
that you have control of the situation. And if they'll just hold on, you'll show up and show off. Right now, Lord, we break every lie of the enemy over their life. We declare every assignment of the enemy broken in the name of Jesus. Though weapons may form, they shall not prosper, Lord, according to your word. And God, right now, every person that's sitting here that may feel that they need to, to come for prayer, Lord, as the enemy tries to tell them that they shouldn't, God, we just silence that voice believe that you're working in their life. We thank you for it. And so right now, if you're sitting here and you'd say, Pastor Bill, that was me. I, I feel like that I'm in the middle of something. I can't handle it on my own. I need God to show up. Feels like I have no hope but God. Would you come this morning? I'd love to pray with you. And I just love to believe that, that God is going to move and that you're going to walk out of here full of hope. You're going to walk out of here full of the power of the Holy Ghost. This is for you. Let's worship together, guys. Nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare your our living hope. Your presence, Tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence, Lord.
Your glory, God, is what I 